Welcome to Plowing Through Brexit, Farmers Guardian's Brexit podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest Farmers Guardian Plowing Through Brexit podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Abby Kay. This week, we want to return to the very hot topic of trade. It's something we know our listeners are extremely interested in because our trading relationships with the EU and other countries across the world will have wide-reaching implications for farm businesses. Over the past two weeks, the government has published its negotiating objectives for deals with the EU and the US, giving us a solid indication of the kind of agreements it wants to pursue for the first time. And here to discuss what this means for farmers, we have two fantastic guests joining us. First up is all-round trade rock star and Twitter hero, Dmitry <laughs> Grozovinsky. He's the founder of the Explain Trade website and trains government officials in negotiation skills and trade policy. What a job. Welcome to the podcast, Dimitri. Thanks so much for having me. I don't know what particular genre of rock I could ever be a star in. <laughs> it's very kind of you to say so. I think anyone who follows you on Twitter will know. <laughs> and we also have uh, Robin Manning, Director of the British Agricultural Bureau, the NFU's operation in Brussels. And I believe it is only your first week in the job, Robin. So congratulations and uh, what a baptism of fire for you. Thanks so much, Will. Yes, it's my first week here and uh, uh, I'm both terrified and inspired to be on this podcast with you and, and Dimitri. So thanks for asking me. <laughs> Right, well, let's get stuck in then. So for our listeners who quite understandably don't have the inclination to read through these negotiating objectives, can you give us a quick rundown of what the UK's objectives for an EU deal contain, Dimitri? And do you think there are any potential threats in there which farmers should be aware of? Sure. So the the UK has begun by saying they want to see a deal that eliminates all tariffs and quotas, which is obviously fantastic news for UK farmers especially those in sectors like lamb or beef that would be shut out of the EU market if there were tariffs. Mm. Secondly, they've said that the UK needs to maintain control of its own standards. uh, And that means both the kind of products that the UK considers safe within its territory. It should have sole authority to decide that and also more broadly on what the EU calls the level playing field. So that's not whether a piece of uh, lamb is safe, but all of the regulations around how it's made, whether that's the uh, environmental regulations around how a farm or a factory is run, the labour conditions, that kind of thing. The UK has said it wants to retain autonomy. But it has said that what it would like to see from the EU is the kind of cooperation deals on testing against product standards that recently it signed in deals like uh, the one with New Zealand on veterinary cooperation or with uh, Canada and Japan. So these are basically what it said is it would like to have a framework of cooperation where the EU and UK can accept one another's tests as good enough and try to eliminate as much of the paperwork and border hassle as possible. Okay. And Robin, could you do the same for the UK's objectives for a US deal? And do you have any particular concerns about the document? Yeah, thank you very much indeed. The the document's uh, quite a weighty one, uh, about 180 pages in total. Mm. It sketches out the UK's high-level objectives for a trade deal with the US. Uh, The UK... uh, is looking to secure uh, comprehensive access to the US market 
for UK goods through the reduction or elimination of tariffs. Uh, and the NFU particularly welcomes the UK government's commitment in the document not to undermine the UK's high standards of environmental protection, animal welfare and food safety in any deal that it does negotiate with the US. But whilst we are very happy that this uh, commitment is embedded uh, in the text from the outset uh, of the talks, uh, I would just like to emphasize that from the NFU's viewpoint, we would like to see uh, a legal commitment around maintenance of standards uh, so that there's a legal commitment from the government to, to do that. Dimitri, to return to the UK's EU negotiation objectives, you, you touched on this briefly in your opening remarks. Um, it seems to me from reading the document that the government's seeking maximum autonomy on sanitary and phytosanitary measures, which our listeners would more commonly recognise as food safety and animal and plant health standards. Would you would you say it's fair to say, looking at this document, that ministers are looking for flexibility to diverge from the EU standards? And if so, to what end? So it's not clear from the document to what end at all. Um, all the document says is that these should be decisions for the UK to make on its own. Um, and this, they don't want to make legal commitments that tie the hands of UK regulators going forward. What's entirely unclear, and this is a far broader thing than just farm standards, this has been a consistent theme in the Brexit conversation, is that the freedom egg comes well before the desire chicken, in the sense that there is absolutely no indication yet from the government of precisely what they want to use this freedom for. But the objective has been set of the freedom is the point so far. That is all we know. We don't know what they hope to then use that freedom to do. Mm. Very much enjoying that farming analogy there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know how farms work. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> very, very serious professional over here. <laughs> okay, Robin, um, I want to ask you about the precautionary principle. The EU has published its own set of negotiating objectives for a deal with the UK. And in that document, there is a demand that any future partnership should uphold the application of the precautionary principle. Now, the NFU and others have been pretty vocal in their opposition to the EU's application of this principle, particularly in the area of crop protection, where it's been argued that policymakers have focused on theoretical harm as opposed to actual risk. Uh, what, what's your view on this, and would you like to see the UK government break away from the precautionary principle? Yeah, thanks, Will. Uh, and I also enjoyed the uh, chicken and egg analogy. But <laughs> on, the, on the point that you asked me, you're right. Uh, the NFU has been critical about the application of the uh, precautionary principle. But I have to say that we don't want uh, divergence for the sake of divergence. Mm. as we would be concerned that this could lead to unnecessary trade barriers put in place. Our objective is still to have as free and as frictionless trade with the EU as possible. But there's clearly an opportunity here for the government to put in place uh, a policy uh, that can be beneficial for British farmers and follows an approach which will be led by science and evidence. I think you know that we've always been critical uh, and argued here in the NFU that policy should be based uh, on risk and not hazard and should be based firmly on the scientific evidence. <laughs> can, I, can I just throw in a, a quick one there, um, Robin? 
on glyphosate, obviously that um, the reauthorisation is coming up in the EU quite soon. If the EU were to ban glyphosate, would you want us to maintain it in the UK, even though that could potentially affect how much we can export to the European Union? I think we'll look at that decision when it comes, uh, Abby. But, you know, our general approach has been, as I said, that, you know, we'd want to base our assessment, we'd want the government to base its assessment on risk and not hazard and mm-hmm. firmly base that on the scientific evidence. But, you know, I don't really want to speculate on what might happen in the future. But clearly, uh, if uh, farmers lose access to that very important plant protection product, glyphosate, then that raises major issues for us. Mm-hmm. Dimitri? Um, returning to you, do you think there's potential for the UK to be challenged by other countries at the World Trade Organization if it does continue to apply the precautionary principle in the same way as the EU? Um, I believe the US and Australia already lodged a complaint with the WTO's Committee on Technical Barriers to Trade about the EU's approach to crop protection in 2017. Will the UK be more vulnerable to this kind of challenge outside the EU? So it won't be more legally vulnerable, but it will be more practically vulnerable. When a uh, a member of the WTO, any government, is weighing up the decision to basically start a bit of a international slap fight by raising an issue at the WTO with another member, they're basically looking at two things. They're looking at the economic pain they're suffering because of the measure. So how much are they being hurt? And then they're kind of weighing the politics of it. Is it worth is raising this issue worth potentially souring relations with this other country? And looking all the way forward to the future, they say, okay, well, what happens if we go through all the way through this process and we win a WTO dispute, for example, and we are allowed to, to levy retaliatory tariffs against this member to basically rebalance what their measure is doing to us? Will that have any meaningful effect and will doing that trigger a response? The EU is such a behemoth that I think some members have shied away from challenging them because that political calculus just didn't make it worth it. It wasn't worth picking the fight. The UK will be in a, in a smaller weight class. And so it's possible that members, including members as large as the US, that have maybe shied away from taking on the EU will say, well, actually, the UK is an easier one to pick off. Um, We can start a fight with them more readily. And if we win that fight, we'll also have built up additional precedent for the future for when we do tackle the EU. That's fascinating. Yeah. Robin, looking at the negotiating objectives published by the EU and the UK, um, where are the big differences and what effect will any potential clashes during trade talks have on farmers on the ground? Thanks, Will. I think it's important to note that the uh, two agreements are starting from very two very different perspectives. So with the EU, on the one hand, The UK is completely aligned with the rules which are currently applied in the EU. And so the trade deal is effectively looking at how, you know, some form of divergence might be managed in the future. Whereas with the potential agreement with the US, it's it's a more classic free free trade style of negotiation where the parties are trying to come together to remove tariffs and uh, smooth friction in order to uh, facilitate uh, greater trade. 
Uh, but starting with the EU, first of all, I think uh, it, let's say there, let's start with noting that there are a number of shared objectives uh, in the text. Uh, we think it's really positive that both the UK and the EU want to maintain tariff-free access into each other's markets. Uh, and it's important to note that taken as a block, the EU is the UK's largest export customer with more than 60% of our agri-food exports destined for the market, worth more than £14 billion last year. The big difference is that the EU is putting a condition in place, caveating free trade access to its markets in return for a commitment for a level playing field and close alignment of its rules. Uh, so, and, and this is uh, at variance with what is in the uh, UK's mandate. Uh, we believe that there's a way that this could be done. Uh, we think it's about agreeing mechanisms that deem each other's rules as equivalent. Uh, there are precedents for this in other agreements uh, around the world. Uh, and this is the way that we think that this uh, uh, problem uh, can be managed. Uh, for, the, for the US, I think the big issue for agriculture is likely to be around the US wanting uh, access to the UK market for products that don't meet our standards. Uh, it's well known that there are very different approaches with the US when it comes to standards, covering animal welfare, uh, environmental protection, etc. Uh, and as I mentioned already, the NFU is pleased with the government's stated position on standards, but we do feel that these uh, commitments should be embedded in legislation. Mm. And what about you, Dimitri? Where do you see the big fights happening once uh, once talks get underway? So, uh, I mean, with with the UK and EU talks, uh, I think the pain points are very well known. Um, it is around uh, regulatory autonomy versus access to the EU market. Mm -hmm. You're essentially, the way the EU will treat this is you're asking for us to effectively drop our defences where you're concerned or keep them gone. Um, so get rid of all of those tariffs. How much, um, how many legal guarantees are you willing to give us in order for us to do that on how you're going to continue um, regulating inside the UK? So that's a fairly well-known pain point. Um, in the US, uh, in the US talks, I absolutely think the US farm lobby is going to push incredibly hard for market access into the UK, and that'll consist of a two-front push. The first one will be on getting rid of those tariffs, making sure that US products don't face tariffs. But on the flip side, it's going to be a whole range of US production methods, which currently give US farmers a competitive price advantage in a range of sectors like dairy and beef, um, making sure that in addition to getting rid of the tariffs, those products can come into the UK as much as the UK will allow it. Now, whether the UK government is willing to allow that to happen in order to get a deal done remains to be seen. Um, the NFU obviously has a very strong position on this, and the NFU is an effective voice for farmers making sure that this can't just be done quietly. So we'll have to see how the politics plays out. Mm. Pick it, picking up on that, Dimitri, the NFU, um, they've called for a Trade and Food Standards Commission to be set up to look at how to protect food production standards in trade deals. What kind of things do you think this committee could look at and how do you think it could be helpful when it comes to negotiating agreements? Because if we're touching on the US example, I can see 
some slight complications there because there's no animal welfare regulations at federal level in the US. It's all it's all done at state level. Um, do, do you think that could be an additional complicating factor? So it always is when you deal with with the U.S. Uh, their federalist structure. But to come to to come to the the heart of your point of what could a commission usefully do, I think this is one of those discussions that, especially both I think in Parliament and in the public eye, is happening with a massive massive shortfall of actual information, and a lot of misconceptions abound about what we're talking about. A commission could do a lot to, for example, clarify where the extent to which you certain U.S. standards and U.S. approaches to farming generate a price advantage for U.S. producers over U.K. producers, and to what extent the differences in these standards are justifiable by science or animal welfare, so that the conversation can be a lot more fact-based and I suppose, tied to the actual prices that farmers charge for their product than the rather abstract conversation we're having right now. I think there is a misconception um, in the public that um, this is just a protectionist move from farmers and that this is a question of UK farmers, for example, not wanting to put in place investments and becoming more efficient so that they can compete with US farmers. When, of course, that's generally not the case. It's not that UK farmers are too lazy to to put in place, say, battery farming for, for chickens. It's just something that the UK public is actually unwilling to accept and UK farmers are unwilling to do. There's a lot that they can inject in terms of specificity and clearing up misconceptions, puncturing some of those, um, some of these ideas people have about this simply being a protectionist wine from a sheltered sector, which I think for the large part it's not. Mm-hmm. Okay, right then. Some some simple questions to finish. Are <laughs> we <laughs> are we going to have a deal with the EU by the end of December, and is it? going to be beneficial to farmers uh, robin first what outcome are you putting your money on uh <laughs> yeah it was that word money made me uh made me hesitate but, yeah i mean i i think we definitely definitely hope there will be a deal uh we've been talking about this for nearly four years now there's been a lot of uncertainty uh farmers are having to invest uh in animals and equipment, uh, and they still don't know uh, for sure what the outcome of all of this will be. So we would like it to be concluded in a beneficial way as quickly as possible. And uh, we have to remember also that the EU is is the UK's biggest agricultural trading partner. uh, And many of the sectors, particularly the sheep sector, which was mentioned earlier, uh, do rely on trade with the EU in order to... uh, in order to survive. So we think it's very important that the, the agreement is concluded and we would like it to be concluded this year if it's all possible. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you, Dimitri, what do you think? I think it's certainly technically possible. Um, I think that the, the two sides have lowered the ambition of what they're talking about. Um, by sort of throwing services largely out the window by by scaling all the way back, they can and there is a potential compromise there where both sides can actually achieve 
pretty much what they need rather than what they want. So the UK, there is a deal to be had where the UK largely retains the autonomy to do just about any regulation it might actually ever want to do. And the EU gets the guarantees it needs to know that the UK isn't going to go completely mental and Singapore on the Thames and like turn the entire country into some Dickensian London where everybody's, <laughs> you know, getting whipped at the factory floor in order to exploit EU market openness. You could definitely see that deal. It's entirely possible to do. The problem is that in order to get that deal, really both sides would have to move off their maximalist positions, which is what they have now. The EU would have to accept less than the very, very high level of guarantees they want, and the UK would have to accept less than complete, complete sovereignty. Um, and that's going to require a political climb down. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing that makes me worried is every time leaders get on television and start waving flags and shaking fists, that makes that climb climb down harder to do. Hmm. What, what about a US deal then? Is that achievable? If so, by when? And again, will it help or hinder UK farmers, do you think, Robin? Uh, thanks, Fabi. I mean, just to pick up on what Dimitri said just now, I think he absolutely nailed it as far as the uh, EU is concerned that there would definitely have to be an accommodation uh, on both sides, starting from you know negotiating objectives, which are quite divergent at the moment. Uh, on on the US, well, I mean, that's a $64,000 question. It's impossible to know <laughs> uh, just how possible a deal with the US will be. Uh, we just need to look at uh, what happened in TTIP negotiations. Uh, they started in 2013. Uh, they've now broken off. Uh, and, you know, I don't know what the prognosis on that is. Uh, there's definitely an opportunity out there. Uh, and I think it's it's good to reflect on the fact that there's already a fair amount of trade between the UK and the US, uh, and we would definitely like this to see this uh, growing. Uh, the US is a very important market for the UK uh, outside of the EU, with £2.2 billion pounds worth of goods uh, exported from the UK uh, last year. Uh, however, uh, we you know, as with the EU, we don't believe that uh, the deal should be at all cost, uh, and we do think it's highly important to maintain high food standards, uh, and this will be, you know, critical for us. And it's why the MFU has been calling for the uh, Commission that was talked about earlier, uh, and why we are engaging ourselves with uh, our contacts in the US. And our president, Minette Batters, was in Washington recently. Uh, as part of the CBI delegation that met with the American Farm Bureau and the USDA, and we're expecting a, uh, a visit from uh, U.S. Agricultural Secret- Secretary Sully Perdue later this year, when we have the chance to meet UK farmers. <laughs> have you have you got anything to add to that, Dimitri? Um, well, I think the point is that it's really important for your listeners to separate the notion of getting a deal from the notion of getting a deal that changes anything, either Mm -hmm. for them or for anybody else um, in the country. Um, Just signing a document that says free trade agreement, US, UK at the top, doesn't doesn't meaningfully change anyone's life. And there's a lot of capacity 
for the two leaders who frankly need a win right now to sign something. Mm. Um, something that doesn't necessarily tackle any of the existing trade barriers between the two, something that doesn't frighten anybody, but something that achieves next to nothing. So there's a lot of capacity to get a deal. Getting a deal that meaningfully addresses the policy challenges that farmers on both sides of um, the Atlantic face in trading to one another is a much, much harder lift, especially in the limited time remaining. Well, okay. I'm very sorry to say that we're going to have to leave it there for today. It's been such a fascinating discussion. Thank you mm-hmm. to both Dimitri and Robin for joining us. And uh, to everyone listening, thank you. And keep your eyes peeled for the next Farmer's Guardian Plowing Through Brexit podcast, which will be out next month.